0: Hello and welcome to another episode of TOTS. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. Today on the show, we have Ryan Hogan. He's the founder and CEO of Hunt a Killer. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Ben. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So I really wanted to have you on because I've seen your products before on uh, Instagram and, and Facebook. And uh, I I just thought it was really interesting. You send people boxes where they're solving crimes that you guys have uh, not committed, but created. So walk <laughs> me, walk me through some of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's been a really interesting journey. And, and believe it or not, Hunt a Killer actually started off as a live event. And uh, my partner and I, we've got a background in live attractions. Uh, we founded a company back in 2010 called Run For Your Lives, which was uh, the first ever zombie-infested 5K obstacle course race. Um, and that grew rapidly, uh, very quick. And then just as fast, just poof, disappeared. Um, and uh, fast forward a, a few years later, Derek and I reconnected um, and then uh, started Hunt a Killer. And Hunt a Killer, you know, the whole premise there was how do we bring people into uh, a universe that we've created, a story that, that um, you know, with characters and with a, a plot and with twists and turns and things like that, and how do we immerse people in inside of that type of experience? And so, to Killer V One was the transformation of a 200 acre campground into a living crime scene. We we had like bodies and and witnesses, and it was just it was chaos, it was craziness, it was amazing. Um, but it didn't scale. Uh, we we made we made like sixty thousand dollars, and uh, a, a year later we turned around. There's six thousand dollars in the bank account. I'm still active duty Navy, stationed out in San Diego, and Derek and I were like. We can't split this two ways and, uh, and feed a family and, and make a career out of this. So um, we pivoted. And, and that's uh, what you were talking about, which is this concept of delivering that story directly to front doorstep. So instead of bringing people to um, a campground, uh, we delivered the clues and the items in the correspondence directly to doorstep. So that was the, the subscription box. We took that from you know zero to about 25 million over a three-year period. Um, and then we started to diversify from there. So uh, we're into different types of licensing. We've got uh, a book deal. We've got um, products on Target and Walmart shelves, and it's just it's been it's been chaos and craziness.
0: Sounds like it. Well, I mean that chaos and craziness sounds like your first venture that you started. So yeah. you're doing these events, and and talk to me about the zombie events a little bit. So you essentially just have a bunch of people pretending to be zombies running after a bunch of other people going through obstacles is that how that works it is and listen
1: it sound when you say it out loud it sounds insane sounds Sounds crazy like it it was amazing well and like the biggest thing was um, was like how are we going to find these zombies so when the idea was conceived the whole premise is that people were going to wear flag football belts and we were just going to put 250 zombies on a five kilometer course that chase participants around and like the first question is like that's going to be a lot of money to pay these zombies here's the crazy part at first it was volunteer and uh we filled volunteers so quickly we realized that people found value real value in being the zombies and so eventually uh people paid us to to be zombies at the event (laughs) and it was actually a ticket that we sold And it was great because it it cost us, call it like 30 bucks. And I I don't have the exact cost, but call it $30 to like zombify somebody. And like we were able to cover some of that cost by selling tickets to become a zombie. And then we would put them in makeup and everything else. But um, yeah, I mean that, you know, the whole premise there was just looking at um, looking at emerging genres and emerging themes. Think 2009, 2010, you've got The Walking Dead coming out. And the whole premise was like, hey, how could we take like a warrior dash, a Spartan race, um, a tough mutter and just like turn it on its head? Like instead of just doing who wants to do obstacles, just do obstacles. Like so for us, it was like, let's create a story and then let's just scare the crap out of people and and have zombies (laughs)
0: chasing. I think that's how you eventually got people to buy tickets to be zombies. It's like. It's those same like uh, people who every Halloween they dress up and like, you know, sit on their porch and like pretend to be a scarecrow or some shit like that. And then when the trick or treaters come up, jump out, it's I mean, it's definitely a certain kind of person. And uh, it, it seems like that worked well for you. And now it feels like you're capitalizing on kind of this whole murder mystery type of like almost like the serial killer stuff, too. Like there's a million different podcasts about serial killers or like unsolved murders and things like that. What kind of energy have you seen from those groups around what you guys are doing now?
1: Yeah, it's been, um, an, an amazing amount of energy and, um, you know, when, when I think about run for your lives, run for your life started in 2009, 2000, 2010, our first event was 2011, but the concept really was coming together that year. And so we were looking at that emerging genre and we, we saw zombies coming. Um, and we used the same sort of methodology for hunt to killer. So we launched hunt to killer in 2016. And the first thing we said before we even knew what the name of the event was, is like, what are we going to do? And what are the emerging themes? 2016 is Serial and My Favorite Murder and Sword and Scale and all of these true crime podcasts that are um, following these stories, um, getting millions of downloads and creating these communities. And we were like, there's an experience or a service or a product that we can serve to this market. And, and that's how we got our start. And so what's been very interesting is like our market has evolved over the last, call it four or five years Um, I I don't think that we could have gotten as big as we've gotten today with just focusing on, on that niche. Like today, it's all about an immersive experience. It's about bringing loved ones together, whether it be family members or significant others, things like that. Um, but when we started, like that was our audience, um, and, and the, the community, everybody, especially folks that watch 2020 or listen to those podcasts or, or Dateline, Like these are people that that want to be detectives. They want to explore. They want to immerse themselves. And so it's been um, uh, it's been great.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it feels like that kind of almost like immersing yourself into these different cases and stories like you were you were mentioning, like serial has been unbelievably popular. And then we hit the pandemic and it only gets more so because now people have all of this like downtime and extra time that they can't go out and see people. So it's like, well, what are you going to do? And and then they get involved in other podcasts, things like that. So what kind of effect did the pandemic have on your business and, and how long were you open before the pandemic started?
1: Yeah. So we started in 2016. So we had been shipping, um, boxes for about four years. Mm -hmm. Um, we were actually at the new york toy fair in february of 2020 so you know call it two weeks before they turned javits center uh into a field hospital yeah um we were there at the new york toy fair presenting our new concept for something that we affectionately known internally as box zero and that the whole notion or idea of box zero um, was this idea that we could create a retail experience, or so something that was more at a thirty-dollar price point, all in one? So it, from start to finish, a, a detective could get through the entire thing, and we could put that right on store shelves. Um, fortunately, the hypothesis was correct, and, and Target, um, Amazon, and and eventually Barnes and Nobles took a risk on us and and put us on shelves like six months later, which is unheard of. Um, But as soon as we left Javits Center, we didn't, one, we didn't have Target yet. Um, Those phone calls didn't come till a couple months later. So left Javits Center, thought we made a good impression, but still didn't have any P.O.s in hand. And then, um, and then society shuts down. Like, I I remember that there were times where um, I'm out here in Seattle, and I was following Governor Hogan's. Uh, Twitter feed trying to figure out if the state of Maryland was going to shut down distribution centers because we do all of our own fulfillment. Um, And so there was a lot of challenges and things that we were thinking about. But the reality is, is that the pandemic, um, uh, or at least the reaction to the pandemic was really about avoiding people really about staying home. And when people are staying at home, and not going out. One, they've got more discretionary income. And two, they're looking for things to do. Um, and so if those things are not uh, Netflix and Disney Plus and all these others, um, those things can certainly be hunt a killer. So for us, it, it was an explosive year. Um, it was amazing. We saw e-commerce, um, much like across the entire industry, we saw e-commerce um, skyrocket. Um, you know, But for us, it was really about diversification, capitalizing on the momentum, the energy, uh, and really solidifying some of our other distribution channels.
0: Sure. And how do you come up with these different crimes and stories that people are solving? Because from my perspective, it would need to be really engaging, super interesting. And then story to story, if you want to have people rebuy, it has to change drastically so that people still get what they want, which is, you know, I'm, I'm solving something that's unsolved. But then also they're not getting bored story to story and box to box.
1: Yeah, um, that's a that's a big one. And that's not so like I'm the the business guy. I'm the um, I'm the cheerleader. You know, I I love working on just a, amazing projects with amazing people. Like that's where I get my energy from. Yeah, um, but. But I am not a a writer or um, a, a deep creative like I'm a problem solver but that that doesn't necessarily translate into amazing stories and so um, a couple of things in, in the early days it was really about Derek and I um, Derek Smith's my my co-founder and uh, and him and I are yin and yang um, he's the creative he develops the stories and in the very early days he was even sourcing the materials that went in the boxes. Um, And dare I say, he was shipping them as well, thousands of boxes from his basement uh, on Christmas Eve. And then uh, me, I was the business guy. So marketing and partnerships and sponsorships and like uh, software platforms, infrastructure, team building, recruiting, things like that. Um, But that's how it started. And today, we've got a product team full of 20 graphic designers and writers and editors and game designers, um, video producers, audio producers. And the reason for this is a a couple things. One, we're able to attract and retain incredible talent. Um, One, because when you think about a normal Hollywood writing gig, um, these things come together. A writer's room is convened and there is a a temporary or contracted basis um, hire for a writing staff. That's not, it's not hunt a killer. Um, like, we are full-time, we are full benefits, we are 401k with matching. Like, we've got a lot of great perks about um, bringing creatives uh, on full-time. So anyhow, that's long-winded for, we have an incredible team of, of writers and designers and everything else that, um, that develop these things. Uh, and we've got a, a proprietary process that, that starts with a story and then translates that story into, you know, the items and the clues that are distributed each month.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. It seems like you have created with your co-founder kind of this great merging of you do a lot of the business side stuff because that's where your expertise comes in. And then he's more of on the creative side and you, you kind of make it work. How did you, did you ever envision yourself becoming an entrepreneur or doing something that was kind of off the path? You said you started in the Navy, you were there for uh, 15 years initially right and now you're in uh, more of a reserve capacity is that correct
1: yep yeah, yeah yeah so 15 years active transition to reserves um and then hopefully knock on wood i'm retiring this year from the the reserves
0: listen man um, you might end up in russia i'm not just, trying to freak you out oh, <laughs> oh
1: i if if only we could talk about some things um but uh for I, I've always known I like, yeah. you know, that the Navy was kind of like this. The Navy's been. Structure, discipline, support, um, security, mm-hmm. uh, but like I've always been an entrepreneur and like I have four kids, I, I have a wife. And and although I am very crazy uh, when it comes to like business and ideas and career and just um, my risk tolerance is is more just like. Who gives a shit? We'll figure it out on on the way. Um, but I'm also not dumb. And and a big part of staying in the military for 15 years while also having this like calling for entrepreneurship was because like I've got a family to support um and and feed. Um, but I've been into entrepreneurship since since I was probably third grade. I, I was selling uh, if you remember creepy crawlers, so like yeah. there was the easy bake oven, and then there was for for the boys, there was the creepy crawlers, and we got to put the gelatin and then put it in the hot,
0: the molds oven. and
1: yep, yep, yep. And so I, I used to sell those in third grade. But like between that and shoveling snow and and cutting grass and um, yeah, it's just I always, always, uh, always building.
0: Yeah, I feel you. Did you do you have something like ADD or ADHD that then attracted you to the military for that structure?
1: Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, they're like, yeah, there, there's it.
0: There's something know. there. There <laughs> is something.
1: And if you ask my um, my chief business and operating officer today, um, she would probably tell you that I'm all over the place and and uh, should slow down. But yeah, I, I mean, I I don't know. I, I've never. The only things that I can concentrate on are things that I'm passionate about. Like if you look at my school yeah. record, if you look at my high school transcript, you will see. Uh, I'd almost get it out of the drawer for you right now, but it would take me too long to figure out which file it is, but you would see like all E's in my senior year, except for like two C's. And it's because I actually like sort of cared about those classes. Like if I don't care about it, it's not interesting. It's boring. Um, but I've got a bookshelf here to my right with a whole bunch of books that I actually read about like business and leadership and management. Cause like that stuff is, is fun to me. Um, and so like, yeah, it's gotta be something with attention and, and, um, it really has to do with like I can't focus on anything that uh, that is unimportant to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, as someone who also has ADHD, I feel like a lot of the best entrepreneurs come from that background because they're so willing to take those risks that maybe other people aren't and they push for what could be better.
1: Yeah. Is your house burning down right now?
0: Uh, It might be. That, that that's a possibility that's all right okay i, I have people just, to take care of that yeah There, there you go. <laughs> i hope
1: i hope you pay them well um good i think they put it out um yeah yeah man again i i agree like you hear about like the dyslexia you hear about you hear about like all these things that I, here's what i really believe it is I, I i think that one it's the way that we're wired but two it's the adversity that that creates like like, when you face challenges in life and you continue to overcome them and you start those challenges at a very young age, like, the idea of, of solving those types of problems, like, builds courage and wisdom and confidence and all of these other things that, like, you need in entrepreneurship. Like, I'm not brilliant. Um, I am not... Um amazingly smart. I here's the only thing I know how to do. Um, it's solve problems and and half the time I'm not solving them correctly. Um, and I know how not to give up. You know, Run for Your Lives failed. Um Warware failed. Gosh, Navy Ten Miler failed. Uh Polaris failed. Like I I've got a whole, a whole graveyard behind me of of failed ideas and failed companies and failed LLCs. Um but I'm not stopping.
0: Yeah. You're you're still taking those risks despite the failures. I think that's such a, such a mark of entrepreneurs, especially like today is not only probably having ADD or ADHD. Cause you have to think of all this stuff on the fly, but it's also like consistently failing at things, but saying like, yeah, but like I have this other thing, like I, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to try this thing out and, and you know, It might not work out, but then I have another thing like how for you, how important was were those failures kind of starting out to lead you to where you are now? Or was there ever a project that like didn't fail necessarily and like it was kind of working, but like you just moved on from it because you never saw it going forward?
1: Yeah, I guess that would be
0: run for your lives a lot.
1: Uh, well, Run for Your Lives bankrupted. I mean that that um, that was like a true <laughs> that was a true failure. Um, I, there's probably a couple of examples. So the one that's top of mind right now is a company called Polaris, and I started Polaris between the bankruptcy of of Run for Your Lives and then the um, the launching of, of Hunt a Killer. And the whole premise initially was this idea that. Um, that people needed people need gifting concierge service which is like like if you could go to a place and and put in your mom your dad your spouse your brother your sister your children and you put in like all the relevant information their birth dates you know and then like you know what dates you want to gift so valentine's day for your wife and all these other things you answer a few questions and then automatically gifts are are sent like i still think it's a billion dollar idea the problem is, like, we just couldn't find the traction um, based upon what we had put together. And so then we went through a pivot and we went into some B2B stuff. We wound up picking up a client. Um, actually, they're, they're doing amazing right now. It's, it's called ID.me. Um, but, but we did their, their um, teammate and I think vendor gifting um, in, back in, like, 2015. Um, but the, the problem is, it just, like, it didn't feel like it was going anywhere. Hang on one second. Um, it just didn't feel like it was, uh, it was going anywhere. And yeah. And it, it's just, it's been about like, it's been about like, where do you, where do I believe the biggest opportunity is? Where do I believe traction and scalability is? And we've seen this even with, with, with uh, Hunt a Killer. Hunt a Killer started as a live event that, that wasn't going to achieve the results we were going for. So we pivoted, we pivoted into subscription box. Subscription could only get so big. So we pivoted into licensing and retail. That's only going to get so big. So we're pivoting into digital. So th- this whole notion of like understanding where you want to be and then you just you kind of keep going. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's so true that like, you know, I've I've done other ventures before and uh, I think the thing that I run into that scares me the most is when something kind of works because I I actually love failure and and I'm sure you do too. Like a lot of entrepreneurs love that failure because you learn so much from it. But the thing that scares me is doing something that kind of works and it's good enough, but it's not truly what you're meant to do because it's never going to get to really where you want it to be. And so I feel like being able to take a step back from that and being like honest about that and like, Hey, like this is a great idea, but like execution kind of sucks or because of these variables, it's just it's not going to go the distance, I think, is a really challenging thing to do. But as entrepreneurs, I feel like that's like one of our primary responsibilities is to figure out if that's truly going to get you to where you want to be or not.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. It, it's so funny. Like I've been thinking about that a lot lately and and really it's because someone asked me not too long ago, like what would what would Ryan today uh, tell Ryan back in 2010 and typically especially like when you're building like you can't you can't live life second guessing or I should have done that or I could have done that because you didn't do that and and like what you need to do is understand what you didn't do and then apply that to future decisions and actions and and things like that but but I, I've actually reconsidered that that question and, and the answer that I would give is pivot faster um, like when I look at, at a company that I had called Warwear, like Warwear didn't have much overhead. Uh, we had like $120,000 in inventory sitting in the garage. Warwear was a, a performance apparel, um, tailored for our the war fighters of tomorrow. It was like it was like kind of like the like the Fubu, uh, for us by us version for veterans. Um, and it was performance apparel. So, you know, we thought we were going to compete with the the Under Armors and Uh, and the Nikes of the world. Um, It it just it really didn't work. And, and the problem was not that it didn't work. The problem is that we spent two years too long, um, fiddling with the project, because it didn't have any overhead. And well, if it doesn't have any overhead, and it's not going to like crash, then all you do is just kind of keep keep working at it. Um, But you're you just nailed it. Like, that's the hardest thing is like, when you get something that has a little bit of traction, like pulling away from that or, or or seeing that you could find opportunity elsewhere. That's much larger. It's so hard. Um, it's so hard to make that decision.
0: Yeah, for sure. Have you considered doing live events again related to hunt a killer in terms of like I, you have a large fan base on social media and you do have people just through looking through the comments that are, I, I don't know if I'd say addicted or obsessed, but they're very into what you're doing would you ever consider doing live events with those people?
1: Yeah. Uh we have we call them passionate. Um we have quite a few That's a nice very... PC word. <laughs> You're <laughs> sounding have...
0: real corporate. <laughs> <laughs> we have
1: we have uh we have quite a few passionate detectives. And like we would be nowhere without them. Like like we For are sure. we are blessed uh to have the type of following that we have. Um and every time I engage in the community, um I I don't know. It's just it's an unbelievable feeling, right? Because that's why we do that. I don't do this for the money. I mean, well, well, I you just you just don't. Um, Yeah, I don't know. You do it for that. But anyhow, your question was, what was
0: your question? Would you ever consider doing live events with those people? You're you're going to do live events.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So actually, uh, I just got back from a lunch with a guy We're we're. Um, we're putting together a live event right now. Um, it'll release sometime in the June, um, June or July of this year. Uh, the whole idea is that it's a, it's a, uh, touring attraction. And so it'll make multiple stops. Um, originally it was gonna, it was gonna be kind of a, in a tent or anyhow, it's evolving very rapidly, but by this June we will have, uh, something in the market and we'll be back in live attractions.
0: That's awesome. And you know, as things uh, continue to open up, it seems like a lot of uh, places are dropping mask mandates and even vaccine mandates. You know, that market of doing live events is coming back for the first time in over two years. What are you guys trying to do specifically? From what you can tell me, that is is kind of pivoting in this new direction of like how events work.
1: Yeah, it's it's exciting. I mean, like this is this is one of the things that think about this we've just gone through two two and a half years of just like sitting at home um and and i think you're starting to see glimpses of this like a a great example would be the van Gogh exhibit for some reason there's like four companies that are running this thing right now but how however um like it's 16 different locations right now and they are killing it like they were supposed to be temporary attractions and it's still here in in seattle it's been here for um probably about three months now and uh Like we are about to see the roaring 20s of like the 2020s um, instead of the 1920s. Um, And people are going to be looking for things to do. I just had this conversation over lunch, which is why this is so relevant, because we were just talking about like how big this is going to be Um, for us specifically. The the reason that we're so excited is because the problem that that most like let's look at escape rooms, because I, I think. I think the easiest um, the easiest correlation that people have made with our uh, with our boxes is that it's like an escape room in a box. Now we think of ourselves as an immersive experience; it's a story, you're a character inside of our story. But if we were just to kind of oversimplify it, um, we could say it's an escape room in a box. The biggest problem that escape rooms have is throughput. Um, one of the reasons that organizations like Top Golf have been so uh, tremendously successful. Is because one they've solved the throughput, and two they figured out how to increase lifetime value through the sale of of beverages and and all these other things. So yeah, the objective is to get as many people as you can in a stall, keep them as long as possible, and serve them as much beer as possible. And for us, what's what's very interesting is like you look at at the markets of escape rooms and say like it's a throughput issue. You need to get more people through the attraction, um, and two we're not an escape room, but I think we've solved for that. Um, and like, I, I won't get into too many of the details, but I think that we have solved the throughput issue of escape rooms and we can put up to call it 35, 4500 people through the attraction each day. Um, and if that's the case, um, then I, I think we're on something big and it's immersive. Um, and so when you think about Hunt a Killer, like think about becoming a detective and solving a crime and, and doing that, immersing yourself in a story. Um, where it's better than an escape room. I, d- I don't know. I think I think there's something really exciting about that
0: Yeah, for sure Where do you see haunted killer going like we have uh, a show just came out the other day? My girlfriend was making me watch it. It's uh, will Arnett. <laughs> uh, it's called like welcome to murderville I- I'll just say like, you know, will is a huge fan of the show Probably not. Uh, But I'll say like it's it's a great concept because they bring celebrities on. Everybody has a script and they're solving a murder. And, you know, the celebrities are like funny and they don't know what's going on. And they're the only one without a script. Um, And it's great. Like, do you see the direction potentially going with celebrities or do you see it going the route of maybe like linking up with some of these podcasts and doing like more realistic content in terms of like based off of real murders? Like we're. What direction do you see it going in?
1: Yeah. Um, interesting. I just binged Murderville uh, over the weekend. Um, what I, are I got thoughts? A text. thoughts? Um, I, I love it. And okay. uh, so there. there's more to the story. I think I can talk about this a little bit, which is um, we were supposed to do something very similar. So I, I will, we're probably NDA'd up on it. I, I, I'll tell you this. We were supposed to do something very similar. Um, we put together uh, a proposal for it. Um, it was, but it was not as good as Murderville. So our concept, who we had some really interesting names associated. Um, it never got picked up. So we we went out to market, we tried to sell it. It didn't get picked up. Um, and then I just saw Murderville. Someone texted me and they're like, Hey, you gotta watch Murderville. I watched it over the weekend, I was like, This is what we should have like this was it. Um right. so I thought I thought it was great. I thought it was brilliant. Um, and like it's this weird, like. Like it's half scripted and half not. So you get this like, yeah. whose line is it anyway feel? I, I thought it was really cool. Uh, but you did ask me what the future of Hunt a Killer is. Here's the future. The, the future is a, a couple of things. One, it, it's really about content. Um, and so, you know, we have grown Hunt a Killer so fast on paid advertising, frankly. Um, there's this this whole like you plug money into the Googles, to the Facebooks, um, right. you advertise on YouTube and and you sell more, you sell more experiences. Um, you can't scale that to a hundred million dollars. You can't scale that into a billion dollar company. And so, you know, retail distribution was a, a big way for us to to really start to look kind of big picture. Um, and now what we're really looking at is is original content. Um, a, a part of that is licensing. And so we've been working with Scholastic. We've got a book that's actually being pre-sold right now. We're really excited about that. Um, we're still working on a a TV show concept. It's not it's not Murderville. Um, they did it brilliant, they did it first, and uh now we just sit on the sidelines. Um, but a couple things. One, digitally distributing immersive entertainment. So we started as an event, and then we we developed a consumer product, and these are core competencies. So we're a media entertainment company and we've developed core competencies in in taking stories and making it a live attraction. And then we were like, nope, no more, don't make any money. So let's make it into a consumer product. We'll get back into live attractions, but we also believe that that there's a way to tell these types of stories in a digital environment. So creating an application and figuring out a way to monetize that. So that's a, a big thing for us. Um, and then one day I'd like to build a hotel because I I think I think a murder mystery hotel would be just awesome. Um, and so that's on the uh, that's on the bucket list.
0: That would be really cool because you could have literally clues around the whole place the whole okay. place i'm I'm with you on that you let me know uh, when you set I'm that okay. up i'm gonna be <laughs> a ground floor investor for sure i like that
1: <laughs> that's, <laughs> yes that's awesome where do you we'll want to need put a that? little bit of money
0: yeah it's <laughs> nice. well yeah a li- little bit just just a you know a couple hundred million yeah just a bit yeah where uh where we'll do you want to put it you think in california or seattle
1: um i don't I don't know that that's that's interesting i was just talking to dallas um about dallas today with with someone and and, uh, basically that that um that disney or not disney the uh the jurassic world tour just left dallas it's heading up to denver Mm -hmm. i was like man they killed it and he was like everybody kills it in dallas because there's nothing to do there so (laughs) i thought that was a really interesting uh a really interesting comment but what i think is interesting about about the hotel is like think about disney like Disney acquired a whole bunch of swampland and then figured out how to make something that was so compelling that everybody from around the world comes to them. And what I think is interesting about the hotel concept is like, like think about the shining, like think about going out and buying a hotel. That's just creepy as shit. It's in the middle of nowhere (laughs) and you just turn it into this immersive story. Um, like, that's what I would want to do. So not like the Denver's or the Seattle's or or here, like middle of nowhere, creepy as shit. Um, and there's only call it 300 rooms. And so it's very easy to sell it out through the entire year. I, I don't know. That's that sounds really interesting.
0: I think that could work. I like that.
1: You're going to be an investor. So this is great. Yeah, man. Is, you uh, you better keep
0: me on that list. I better be the first <laughs> freaking call. First call, this, Ben. Man. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Ryan, I really enjoyed uh, talking to you and having you on the show. Um, you know, this was this was fun for me. And uh, I definitely think I, your product has some some wide appeal and, you know, happy to consider myself a future investor. Uh, where can people find uh, Hunt a Killer or uh, some of the stuff that you've been putting out so they can follow you?
1: Yeah. So um, Hunt a Killer, www.huntkiller.com. We've got um, a couple products on Target shelf. So when you go to Target, um, please pick us up there. Uh, it, it makes us look better, and the buyer purchase more more stuff from us. It's great. Um, and then um, I've been putting out content on LinkedIn, so I love followers. So if you want to follow me, if you want to reach out, um, it's just uh, what is it like LinkedIn.com forward slash Ryan E Hogan. Go from there.
0: Cool. Sounds good, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen to more on our website totspodcast.com. You should also follow our socials. Our big one right now is Instagram, but we also have Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok. Follow our TikTok too. We're going to be posting a lot of content there, like clips from shows like this. Uh, If you also want to enjoy the show, but on a different platform, you can do so Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Those are our big three, but we're on almost every single platform. We post usually about once a week, and uh, I'll see you next time.